You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. I'm just kind of curious, is anybody here by any chance uh, facing a pretty pretty important decision? Anybody here like facing an important decision? I'd raise your hand up if you knew what. I could, I could use a little wisdom on an important decision. A few of you, the rest of you, what is going on in your life? <laughs> You're making no decisions? Uh, well, you know, maybe maybe you have a work decision coming up or a home decision, family decision, a relationship decision, a financial decision. Uh, you have a spiritual decision every day that you're going to make. Today, I want to talk about um, wisdom. I want to talk about uh, a guy in the Bible who uh, who has historically been known as the wisest man who ever lived. And we are on a series called Kings, and we've been covering the life of Saul, David, and Solomon. And today we begin talking about Solomon. We're going to be on Solomon for three weeks, and we're going to be done. And uh, today we kick off with Solomon. This story of kings, those three kings, each serving for 40 years, is actually the uh, a, a large bulk of, of the Old Testament. It's the largest section outside of the story of Moses and the Exodus. Uh, it carries uh, weight. It covers over nine different books of the Bible, just those three characters. And Solomon, even though his story is one of the briefest, he actually uh, wrote uh, the largest majority of the Old Testament other than Moses himself. So um, this is a guy who was known to have incredible, incredible wisdom. Saul, he served God only two years out of the 40 years that he was king. So uh, after two years, God impeached him himself, and he was without God for 38 years. When David became king, he served the Lord faithfully and passionately for 40 years. Though he had personal struggles, he never stopped pursuing God in his life. Now, coming to the end of his life, of David's life, it's time to crown a new king. And God has already picked who that king is going to be. And that king is one of David's sons named Solomon, who's also known as Jedidiah. So if sometimes you see the name Jedidiah, uh, it's referring sometimes to Solomon. That is the same guy, Nathan, the prophet called Solomon Jedediah. Uh, the name that Solomon got from his mommy and daddy was Solomon. Solomon's name means peace has come. So David, here's what's interesting. David had a relationship, you might remember, with a, with a woman named Bathsheba. And she was a woman who was bathing on the rooftop of her house, which is customary. It wasn't like odd. It would be odd for you. If you were on your roof or on your balcony bathing, that's not normal. In the Bible, it was normal. She was out there and uh, David was not where he was supposed to be with his men, with his soldiers, with his army. Instead, he was out, uh, you know, surfing the channels and surfing the web on his rooftop. And he saw Bathsheba. He called her into his home. She was married to a friend of David's. She uh, was basically pressured by David. They did have sexual relations. Bathsheba became pregnant. David is in big trouble. So what he does to cover his tracks is he tries to have her husband put on the front lines of the worst, hottest spot 
of war and he dies. And so now David is guilty of, of adultery, of murder, of a massive cover-up, abuse of power. And uh, when news gets out that her husband is dead, he acts like he's a good man and marries her to basically take care of her. But the truth is, it was a marriage that never should have happened. But Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. So here's what I want to start off with. I want you to know this today. We're going to talk about, we're going to learn some lessons from Solomon. This is the first thing is that Solomon reminds us, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Think about this. This was Solomon, the son of Bathsheba. This is, this is a, a relationship, a late night talk, walk that turned to adultery, murder, cover-up, scandal, and marriage. It should not have happened. Their marriage started off. You know, you heard the phrase, I started off on the wrong foot. Couldn't be truer. It completely was a marriage that God said at the beginning should not have taken place, but it was a relationship that God said, I'm going to use for my glory. I want you to check this out. Like David's family, we find grace when we see our sin for what it is. David did not cast blame, and each time David was confronted with his sin, he was broken, he turned to the Lord, and he found forgiveness. Though David was imperfect, he repented, and God took him from right where he was at. Now his life is characterized by wisdom, justice, integrity, compassion, loyalty, respect, and the promise of the Messiah was to come through his life. Jesus was a descendant of David and Bathsheba. Think about that. A marriage that should not have happened became a part of the Jesus story. In fact, she is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, the very first book of the New Testament, where it talks about the genealogy. You know, maybe you're like, oh, the genealogy. Oh, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so You're like, why would you even put this in the Bible? Two reasons. Matthew is the lineage of Joseph, and Luke is the lineage of Mary, and it shows how they were both ordained by God and called beforehand. And all the characters in that story are part of the story of Jesus. And Matthew 1 mentions Bathsheba. The great, 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 I don't know how many greats. Grandma of Jesus was Bathsheba, that woman bathing on the rooftop that David had a an adulterous relationship with. I want you to realize this. And, and some even believe that Proverbs 31 written by Solomon is uh, many scholars believe that that is a Psalm written about his mother, Bathsheba. I want you to think about this. Maybe your marriage started badly. I've talked to some couples as they're Christians now and they were not Christians when they got married. And they're like, it's a marriage that never should happen. It was a marriage that we got married because we had a baby. We got married because we were young and stupid. We got married because we were wild and we didn't know what was going on. And now we're married and I'm stuck in it and I'm trapped in it. And I'm a Christian. And I'm like, if I was a Christian now, like if I was, a, if I had to do it all over again and I was a Christian, then I wouldn't have done this. I want you to realize this. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And, and some of you are, need to be encouraged by the marriage of David and Bathsheba or maybe that relationship that you've tried and tried and seen that you failed at. Maybe that relationship at, at work or that, or that uh, issue. At, maybe you started off on the wrong foot at work. Maybe you set a precedent that you're the jerk 
at work, right? You're the guy who's like, what? He's a Christian? And, uh, you know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And some of you, it's an effort to know your kids. Some of you, you started off, uh, maybe you got a divorce, and maybe your kids moved out of the house, and you don't have a relationship with them anymore. And it started terribly, and it was things were bad at home, and, and now they're out of their life, and they're trying to run as far away from you as possible. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Let this be an encouragement to you. Let the wisdom of Solomon set in here. Don't let your past bring you down. The gospel isn't follow Jesus' example or tips on how to raise good children. The gospel is Jesus Christ came to save sinners, even bad parents and lousy people. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. So Solomon's name means peace, and he has to, well, he's called that because he brings a time of peace, but it's not without a fight. Because though he's called to be king, his brother thought he should be king. So here's how it trans, trans, uh, trans, um, translated. In 1 Kings 1.5, it says, Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, that's David's oldest son from another wife. Uh, we talked about that previously. David had more than one wife. And uh, his oldest son, his firstborn son, Adonijah, it's customary for him to become the king, for him to become the inheritor of, of the possessions of the role of the position. So Adonijah put himself forward and said, I will be king. He elected himself. Isn't that funny how we do that? We like to say, I am going to be boss. I'm going to be king. I'm going to do this. And he says, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. This is the second son to revolt. He had another son a few years earlier. His name's Absalom, who tried to revolt. In fact, he did revolt. He chased David out of his own kingdom, and David had to overtake the kingdom from his own son. Now here's a second king, a second son, trying to overthrow his, his, uh, his role, his dad. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? Now, I want you to realize this is a big flaw with David that we see again. David was soft with dealing with people that were close to him. And, and I think there's a lot said in verse 6 that, that you need to take to heart, that I need. He says, his father never rebuked him as to saying, why do you behave this way? Why are you doing what you're doing? He basically let his son get away with whatever he wanted to get away with. Some of you, you think you're being a good parent or a good friend or, or someone who's a, a good coworker by just, you know, by, by not addressing those issues. Well, when you don't address them, well, then they attack you. Says he was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. That means he was younger and, uh, he was better looking. Then Absalom. Absalom was considered one of the most handsome men in the Bible. He kind of looked like Byron, long flowing hair. The Bible says his hair was five feet, uh, I mean, five pounds. Uh, um, you got a ways to go, Byron. Says, uh, verse 7, he says, Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zariah, uh, David's general and counselor. You got to realize this. He's now conspiring with David's top men. Joab, if you remember, was David's like top, top a counselor and his top general. He was the guy who led his armies, who did a lot of stuff that David didn't approve of, but David never addressed. Now, David's son, Adonijah, is hitting up Joab 
to join his ranks. So he talks to Joab and Abathar, the priest. So he's got the top general, one of the top priests, and they gave him their support. It's like a political party here. This is, this is like a, they didn't have elections, but they are getting a group of support together. It says, but Zadok the priest, another high priest, and Benaniah, son of Jehada. Um, by the way, these, this is a mighty warrior. Maybe you've heard the story of a man who went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That's that guy right there. So this is a mighty warrior and one of the high priests. And Nathan, the prophet, all of these guys, it says, uh, and Shimei and Rea and David's special guard, they did not join Adonijah. So you've got, you've got Adonijah and his group of supporters, religious supporters, and the top general in the land, Joab. And then you've got David and some of his, you know, lower officers, but a little bit more, and uh, some priests and the prophet. And you're about to have a church split here because what's going down is you got two religious leaders, two armies, two allegiances to two different people that are starting to take place. Taking sides, influential people on each side. Adonijah then has a big church service, literally in the Bible. He invites all his brothers and army officers, and he invites all the soldiers, and he crowns himself king, and the people throw a big party, and they start shouting, Long live King Adonijah! Long live King Adonijah! So they start shouting, He's as good as king in his own eyes. Now, By the way, if Joab had been dealt with years earlier by David and was removed earlier, this would not have happened. David not dealing with Joab or Adonijah years earlier put Solomon in a very bad place. So verse 2, I want you to realize this. Solomon reminds us, I mean, number two, is it's never too late to take care of business. It's never too late. Because you might think, man, David just put it off. And put it off and put it off. And, and now Solomon's got to deal with all that garbage, which is the truth. But what Solomon teaches us is that it's never too late to take care of business. Some of you have been, in, you've inherited problems at work. or You've inherited problems in a class. or You've inherited problems in your home and in your family with your kids. And it's never too late to take care of business. Some of you, you just, you just wash your hands and go, well, it's just the way things are going to be. does not have to be that way. Solomon teaches us, even, even good intention, but soft-hearted people like David who didn't take care of issues, and you inherit a lot of problems, it's not too late. It's never too late to take care of business. And that's what we're going to find as the story unfolds. We'll see Solomon do just that, take care of it and deal with it quickly. And, you know, I said last week, you either pay now or pay uh, later. We must move past and deal with our past issues or they will be our family's future failures too. So here's what happened in chapter 1, verse 11. It says, then Nathan asked Bathsheba, remember this is Solomon's mom. Uh, he, He says, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? So they're already saying that he is king. And our Lord David, who's still alive, but he's dying. He's actually in bed at home. He's on hospice, literally. They have a woman come in and care for him. Uh, We're going to talk about her in a minute. He says, uh, he has become king and our Lord David knows nothing about it. Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. He says, what you need to do is you need to go in and you say, David, you know, 
you remember how you said my son was going to be king? <laughs> Basically, you need to go in and remind him that Solomon was going to be king and that Adonijah has taken over. You need to give him a heads up. And that if he doesn't do anything, then Bathsheba and Solomon will be treated like animals and criminals. They might even have their life taken. So David then wakes up and he tells Nathan, he says, I want you to take all the priests that we have left that have not aligned with Adonijah. And I want you to anoint Solomon on the great mountain that is dedicated to the Lord. And I want him to ride there on my own mule. And I want you to crown him and anoint him. And I want him to then ride in with a big parade and sit right in the middle of the throne in the palace. And I want you to shout over and over again, long live King Solomon, long live King Solomon, long live King Solomon. So that's exactly what happens. They take Solomon out there to this big holy mountain. They anoint him uh, king right there on the spot with Nathan. They put him on the king's mule and they have a giant parade. He enters the city of David. They march right into the palace. Solomon is crowned king, sits on the throne, and they start shouting as loud as they can, long live King Solomon. So you can see what's happening here. Solomon's on the throne with crowds of people around him shouting, long live King Solomon. And then right outside the palace is a big banquet hall where Adonijah is having a party and the people there are shouting, long live King Adonijah. So you can see how this could potentially go really, really bad. And it kind of goes not as bad as I expected because Solomon decides to deal with it swiftly. First Kings Chapter 141, it says, Adonijah and all the guests, I love the way it says this, and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. They were having a party. And on hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, what's the meaning of all the noise in the city? This is Joab, the general. And he says, uh, even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest, arrived Adonijah said, come in, a worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Ho, ho, ho. You know, they're all happy. And I love this guy, verse 43. Not at all. Not at all. Jonathan answered, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Cue music. Dun, dun, dun. And he says, that's the noise you hear is there declaring him king. I like this. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. <laughs> I was like, they were like out of there, right? It says, but Adonijah in fear of Solomon went and took hold of the horns of the altar. What that means, there's this altar out by the tent. And uh, this was a place where they offered sacrifices to the Lord. And then they, after these sacrifices, they would eat them. It wasn't just a bloody mess. Uh, everything that they sacrificed to the Lord in the Bible was, uh, was eaten. Uh, so he was hanging on to this, this, this corner of the altar, this horn. It kind of went up like this. He was hanging on to it because he's like, there's not going to kill me here. They wouldn't kill me in this holy place. God have mercy. Solomon have mercy. He was afraid that he would lose his life, that his brother, because remember their brothers would kill him. He's on the corners of the sacrificial altar of God. He says, I'm not leaving. He says, until you promise not to kill me. He's dragged to Solomon. He throws himself down and Solomon says, Adonijah, go home. That's what he says. But it's not over. Chapter 2 says, when the time drew near for David to die, 
he gave a charge to Solomon, his son, and he said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong and act like a man. I love that verse, man. Be strong, act like a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch now how they live. And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. And then he tells him that there's some people in the kingdom that you need to take care of who are going to try to take you down. I did not take care of them. You need to take care of them. This is the third thing that Solomon reminds us. And I think this is cool is that Solomon reminds us of what a godly man looks like. David was a godly man and he was charging his son Solomon to be a godly man. And David's definition of a godly man was quite unique. He was a he was a man who was the kind of man that men want to be and the kind of man that women want to have. He started off dynamic. We're going to find out in a couple of weeks that Solomon had a really bad turn and things went kind of bad for Solomon. And then he recovered. But the first half of Solomon's rule was, was a very godly, beautiful picture of what could have been. So using those things that David said, I want you to give, I want to give you a real quick definition of a godly man according to say, uh, David and Solomon. He says, first of all, he says, be strong and act like a man. Okay, so this is how you do it. He says, uh, observe the law, uh, what the Lord God requires of you. Uh, the New English translation says, do the job the Lord your God has assigned you. And I want you, this is what a godly man looks like. It's one who follows what God's plan for his life is. Some of you, God has put something on your heart. God has put something in your soul. God has put something on your mind. And God has commissioned you, called you to do something specifically, to do certain things at certain seasons of your life, or maybe for the majority of your life. And, and you know that God has called you to do this, but you're not doing it. You're, you're, you're doing whatever else you can do to run from this. And you know what a godly man does? He embraces the assignment that God has for him. That's what a godly man does, according to, to David. That's what he tells Solomon. He says, Solomon, act like a man and embrace what God has called you to do, assigned for you to do. You know what, man? One of your first assignments is to be a godly husband if you are married, to be a man of God to your wife, to be a father that your kids can look up to. That's your number one assignment as a man is be a man that women can respect be a man that women can honor. Be a man that women feel comfortable with and around that honors and respects women and the Lord most of all. That you are an honorable man with your wife. You treat her as a gift from God. And you treat your children with respect and love and care for them. Number one assignment after that, you might have an assignment on your life for ministry or for uh, to be an author, to be a great businessman, to be a man who wins your workplace to the Lord, whatever God has put on your heart, embrace that assignment because that's what being a man of God is. The second thing is, is that he says, I want you to do this. Psalm, he says, walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and his commands and his laws and regulations. Do this and you'll prosper. He says, you know what? You know what a godly man is? It's one who knows and walks in the word of God. 
This is where wisdom comes from. We're going to find out. He says, read it and live it. That's what a man of God does. A man of God doesn't just go to church. A man of God doesn't just quote the Bible, but he lives it. A man of God doesn't just, you know, uh, be a good person, but he lives the word and he shares and tells the world of that good word. He walks and lives in the word of God. That's what a man of God is. It's not a person who says they're a Christian, but it's one who walks in the word of God. Some of you think you're a man of God, but you have not put any invested time into growing in your own walk with God on your own, reading the word of God on your own, setting it for yourself, walking in it, living it, being the kind of man on Sunday that you pretend to be and be that real man at work on Monday or school at Tuesday or wherever and being a man of God is someone who walks and lives in it. That's a man of God. That's what David says. That's what Solomon lived. Third thing is that David says, he says, if you're to sentence, watch how they live. And if they walk faithfully before me and with their heart and soul, he says, man, this is going to be a great life for you. Third thing is this, a man of God is one who teaches their family God's word. So some of you, uh, it's time to, to embrace that assignment that God has for you and be the man of God who's responsible for depart, imparting God's word into your family's life. You know, a lot of people, they, 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 they just kind of give it over to kids church or, or to some veggie tales movie or to some TV show or to the pastor on Sunday. They just hand over all their personal training and teaching and, and, and discipling of their family to somebody else. God says, no, 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 they're help for you, but you're the primary pastor of their life. So dad, men, even if you're not married yet, Embrace that call of God on your, be a man. I love what David says. He says, man, he says, the time is coming to an end. He says, I want you to realize this, son. I want you to be strong and act like a man. Men, act like a man. Teach and share and live the word of God to those around you. So after this, David tells him, watch out for Joab and those that fought against me. He says, deal with them quickly. And then he dies. The Apostle Paul sums up David's life in a single sentence. In Acts chapter 13, it says, After David served the purpose of God in his own generation, he died. How many of you can say that? How many of you would want that to be said about you? When I die, I want people to say, Ted, I'll see you again, brother. I'll see you again. But I'll tell you one thing about Ted. He served the purposes of God for his generation. That's what I want to be said about me. And that's what David was remembered for. So Solomon takes the throne. Adonijah has gone home. And right after David dies, Adonijah shows up again. And this is what he did. He sneaks in to talk to his stepmama, Bathsheba. So this is what it says. Adonijah, the son of Haggith, went to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, his stepmother. And Bathsheba asked him, do you come peacefully? He answered, yes, of course, peacefully. Then he added, I have something to say to you, though. He says, you may say it. He says, as you know, the kingdom was mine. You know, technically it was mine. He goes, and all of Israel looked to me as their king. You know, it was my people did call me king, but things changed. I like his attitude. You know, it technically was mine. It should have been mine. People thought I was king. But, you know, it changed. Things changed. And the kingdom has gone to my brother, your son. No, no offense. You know, long live the king. He goes, for it has come to him from the Lord. You know, it's all, it's all speak. And he says, um, 
Now I have one request, just one. You know, I should have been king. I was king, but I just have one, one little request. And she says, and he says, please, don't, don't refuse me. I've, I've gone through a lot. I've gone through a lot. She says, you may make the request. Playing on her soft heart, he asks for David's concubine, one woman named uh, Abishag. Now, let me tell you about Abishag. She was a woman who, when David was dying was considered the most beautiful woman in all of Israel. She was made part of David's concubine. He did not have sexual relations with her in any way, but she was assigned to take care of him and keep him warm and and nurse him the last days of his life. Now, by asking this, it was a declaration of revolt and rebellion. Let me explain. So she goes to ask Solomon. He pulls up a chair. He says, what can I do for your mother? And he says, she goes, your brother just has a little request. And she says this, can, will you let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah? It's not a big deal, son. If you could, you do that. Remember, he played up on her soft heart. And King Solomon answered his mother, why do you request Abishag, the Shumanite, for Adonijah? You might as well request the whole kingdom for him. He gets all crazy. He says, after all, he is my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abathar, the priest, and Joab, and the son. He says, why don't you just tell all of them just to take over? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay with his life for this request. And now, as surely as the Lord lives... He who has established me securely on the throne of my father and has founded a dynasty for me. He promised Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to Benaniah, son of, I love all these names, uh, Jehoda. He was a Jedi, apparently. Um, He was the blood brother of Yoda. And he says, and he struck down Adonijah and he died. Now, why was Solomon so crazy about this? You got to understand the culture at this time when someone receives someone else's family's concubine or an ex-wife or someone's uh, wife. Basically, if you're a king, if you own the concubine or any one of them, that makes you an heir to all the possessions of the king. So this is Adonijah. He's saying, just give me her as, as my wife. That's all. You know, she's just so pretty. That's all. And then all of a sudden he marries her and here's Adonijah. I am the rightful descendant of the throne because the very last woman that was married to David is now my wife. This woman who nursed him, she was with him on his deathbed and she can testify that I should be king. You see, there was an ulterior motive. Solomon saw it and he said, nah, today my brother's going to die. And Solomon basically sets out a decree to go take him down. Now, Solomon does a full house cleaning right after this. He fires all the priests who aligned with Adonijah, and he sends them home and takes away all their pension because there is a a pension for the priesthood. And he says, and then he house arrests all the revolting officers. And then he has a death sentence for treason for those in higher office. And then Joab who tried to take Solomon down, man, he hears that, that uh, Solomon's doing a, a full house cleaning. So he does what Adonijah does. Adonijah got sent home. And 
Joab runs to the altar and grabs to the horn and says, please don't kill me. God, you won't let me die here. And please don't kill me. So Solomon, he sends one of his officers out to get Joab. And Joab says, no, no, please. It says King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. Then Solomon ordered Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, uh, and he said, go, strike him down. So Benai entered the tent of the Lord. And he said, Joab, the king says, come out. And he says, no, I will die here. So be it. And right there, Ben on the spot, kills Joab as he hangs onto the altar in the tent. Talk about swift justice. Now, Solomon then establishes his throne. He deals swiftly with all of those that revolted against him. One night after a day of worship, This is Solomon's glory story. Right after a day of worship, he has a dream, and this is what happens. This is the part that you might remember. In Geboah, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want for me to give to you. I want you to think about that for a second. If God asks you, I'll give you anything you want, anything at all. I want you to think about it for a second. What would you ask for? Just think about it. I mean, it was big. God said, all right, so I'm going to do anything for you. Anything. This is God who could do anything. This is the God of all creation that they worship and saw miracles and the power of God. God says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll do it. What would you ask for? Some of you might ask for uh, money. Some of you might ask for a position, a power, or influence. Some of you might ask for uh, success in work or job. Or some of you might ask for a marriage that would be healed or uh, kids that would, be, that would be saved or that would come to know. You, who knows what you would ask. But I doubt if we were in Solomon's shoes that we would ask the Lord what Solomon asked for, for this is what Solomon said. Solomon said, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. He says, but I'm, I'm just a little child. By the way, David was, uh, um, Solomon was roughly in his thirties at this point. He said, but I'm just a little punk. I'm immature. I don't know a whole lot. And I do not know how to carry out my duties. I don't know how to be a king, God. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. They're great people. New too numerous to count or number. There's a lot of people. I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up. He says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Second Chronicles one, he says, he calls a, it's, they use the words wisdom and knowledge. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge to discern what is right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Here's the fourth thing that Solomon teaches us today is that greatness is not built by possessions, positions, or physical strength. Some of you are like, man, if I was just stronger, man, I could bust out and take care of all the people that are trying to pick on me or take me down. If I was just bolder, if I just had a more bold personality and was able to talk in front of people, if I just had influence, if I was the boss... If I was the teacher, if I was the guy running the show, if I was able to make the decisions, if I just had a nicer car, a nicer home, if I wasn't always worried about my finances, if I just had any one of those things, my life, my troubles would all go away. Well, David realized 
The greatness, I'm sorry, Solomon realized that greatness is not built by possessions, positions, or physical strength. Small, uh, Solomon did not seek greatness, but he humbled understanding and discernment. At that moment, he understood that wealth and riches would not make him a great leader, nor fame, nor strength. He understood only divine direction would. Some of you are working so hard to be popular. Some of you are working so hard to be rich. Some of you are working so hard to be powerful, to have position, but ultimately seeking any of these things will leave you in ruin. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Some of you are trusting in those things to be the answer to your problems And ultimately, you'll find that those are terrible things to trust in. Let me illustrate it like this. I have a um, a glass of water here. And I don't know if you can kind of see. It's got dirt and junk in it here. Let me stir it up a little bit. It's got grass and dirt. Let me see if I can mix it up here. Do you see it rising? This is our thinking. This is how we are. Man, we think, man, if I could just have all this stuff... My life would make sense if I just had all of these things, more possessions, more money. Man, I wouldn't be worried about work. I wouldn't be worried about my kids. If I just had, and and as a result, you think you know what you can see, but you have no vision in your life for anything because all you see is the possessions, the positions, the, the, the influence. You just seek things that you think will solve your problems. And as a result, you have no vision for your life other than those possessions, those things, and those positions. And as a result, you're blinded and you're not wise. So you make foolish decisions based upon what you see because you don't see God's vision for your life. So as a result, you you stumble by putting work as a priority over your spiritual walk. You stumble uh, by putting a career over your family and you can't figure out what's going on at home. Or you stumble putting an education over the call of God in your life. And, and as a result, you can't, you can't get a sense of where you're going with your life or what you should do with your life. Or all you want to, you, you're judging your marriage by somebody else's marriage and you're only looking at that other marriage and that way you can't, you can't see what God has for your marriage. Because this is where we live. This is where we walk. This is where we tend to spend all of our life. David says those positions, those possessions and that physical strength, all those things that you think will make your life better, all they do is blind you to true wisdom. This is what Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, this is the biblical definition of wisdom. I mean, wisdom is is, is basically this, this notion that, that there is a sense of experience and, and knowledge that gives you this insight on problem solving. But this is wisdom. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. So while you're doing this, this is what God says. You need to pour out your views of what you think is valuable. And this is what we need to do. We need to pour out our ideas of what we think we need. 
First thing we need to do, look at all that's left in there, is we need to empty ourselves. We need to empty ourselves of all the crud that we've been believing for years about our life and about what's important and what will make success and what will make us happy. Solomon realized this when he said, Father, give me discernment between what is right and what is wrong. This is the next thing I want you to realize this. Look at this, God's response in verse 10. He says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. He says, I will do what you have asked and I will give you wise, a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, uh, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So here's what happened. Solomon reminds us that God gives wisdom to those who ask for it. Some of you here are like, you know what? I need some direction. I need some wisdom. This is how you've been operating. You've been operating under the wrong assumptions that there are certain things they're going to fix, solve, make your life better. God says, no, 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 no. Trust me. Pour out your ideas of what you think success and what you think will make you happy and what will solve all your problems. Pour those things out. Trust me. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of your ways. Not just the ones that are easy, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge me. Seek me. Do it my way. And I will make your path, your direction, your life, your journey, your purpose straight. He says, trust in me. And David says, uh, Solomon says, well, God, I need your wisdom. And here's what. If you will do that, if you will pour yourself out and say, God, now, I trust you give me wisdom. You know what the Lord will do? He will give you wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to think and act and have good judgment using knowledge, experience, and understanding and common sense. This is what James 1, 5 says. He says, if any of you needs wisdom, ask God for it. He will give it to you. God gives freely to everyone. He doesn't find fault. So you don't have to be the pastor to find wisdom. You don't have to be in position of influence to find wisdom. You know, I remember when I was a teenager, I was um, was 15 years old. And I was just, man, the Lord, when I was 15, just hit me like a brick. And I was like, I, you know, I gave my life to Christ at 13. But when I was 15 and I moved here to Texas, uh, about a year after I was here, man, I was just in pain in my soul for God. I mean, this is the truth. And I, I was like, I was upset. I was in great deep turmoil. I was, I was not depressed, but I was anxious and I was just, just bothered. And, and I, and I called our church. We were part of a very, very large church at the time. And, and, uh, it was a church of about 7,000 people. And I called our leadership team. We were very plugged into, uh, to our leadership team and our youth group. And I said, I need to talk to somebody. And they're like, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I just, I just need to talk to somebody. And, 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 uh, I remember one of our youth leaders, his name is Terry Smith. I just, I'll never forget that day. He came to my house. He sat in my bedroom and I sat on my waterbed. That's right. Waterbed, baby. All right. No, it was terrible. Waterbeds are ridiculous, but I had one through high school and, uh, yeah, it was cool. Right. Um, and I remember him sitting there and I, and, and I just, I was, I was just, I was just uh, that's how I was talking. I was just so flustered and I'm like, I'm like, he goes, what is it? Because they thought I wanted to kill myself or something, right? 
I'm like, I just got to talk to somebody. What's wrong? I don't know. Something. I don't know. I just got to. It was like, man, somebody needs to get over there and see Ted. So they, they get a, I'm like, oh, what's, what's wrong, Ted? What's wrong? What is it? And I, and I remember that. I, I just want more of God. I just want God. I just need Jesus. And, and, and my, I had this, it was like a fire. It's hard to explain. It was something started igniting in me that year that I'd never experienced in my whole life. And it's all I could think about. It's all I, I wanted to do. It was all, I, everything I saw, every person I saw, everything I heard, I just wanted to know what God thought, what he, what his ideas were, what, what he wanted for me. And, and, and as I began all of a sudden to break loose, what God was doing in my heart, in my life, I just, I just remember, I just remember so clearly, Terry, he reaches over and he touches my hand and he says, Ted, he says, you are so wise for your age. Now, not to play up on the fact that, hey, that's wise. But I wanted to say is that when he did that, he was saying, you know what? You have got something that a lot of people who are much older than you still don't have. And that is a sense of desperation for Jesus. A sense that greatness in life begins we're just wanting to know what God thinks about your life and what he thinks about the universe and your friends. And I just remember that. And I think, well, God will give wisdom to those who ask, even a punk 15 and a half, 16-year-old kid. And here's what happens is God wants us to do this. If we will ask for wisdom, you know what God will do? Yes, he will. If we just ask for wisdom, he will give us wisdom. He will give us wisdom. Now, this is still dirty because we had mud in it, but <laughs> but uh, it would have been clean if I was able to rinse out this. Because when we empty out our opinions, God will fill it with his. Now, after, actually, there's a time in our life where we still, after God gives us wisdom, we're still looking through our old ways. But the more we pour out and let God pour in, and the more we pour out and let God pour in, you know what's going to happen? The clearer our vision will get for our life and for the world for work and for our family, the more we pour out and the more we let God pour in. Now, I want you to hear this, is that God will give wisdom to anyone who asks. This is what Proverbs 9.10 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom, by the way, is most often learned from others' mistakes without having to experience them yourself. Some of you are like, well, I just, I need to learn from my mistakes. Yes, but one of those mistakes can be avoided if you learn from somebody else's wisdom. I often say, you know, you don't have to be arrested for a DWI uh, uh, or a DUI. You don't have to see your friend dead on the side of the street in order to realize you don't want to be doing that. You don't have to experience having your stomach pumped before you realize that you don't want to do drugs. You don't have to spend time in jail to realize you don't want to do uh, be a part of crime. You don't want to have to experience the withdrawals, the pain, and the potential extreme health hazards of drug abuse for yourself. You don't want to have to experience heartbreak and, and, and venereal diseases just to learn. Yeah, you're wiser, but the wisest people in this room are going to be those that learn from other people's wisdom and mistakes and trials and pain. 
Check out what happens. We're going to end with these thoughts right here. Check out what happens with Solomon. First Kings chapter three says, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David, your father did, I'll give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized he had a big dream that he had been in a dream. Number six, I want you to realize this Solomon teaches us that when you do things God's way, he will provide you for you in ways you never imagined. If you say, God, all right, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I want you. I just want you. And I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust you with all my heart. And I'm just going to do it your way. If you do it God's way, he will provide for you in ways you never imagined. All Solomon wanted was discernment to lead this mass of people. And God says, you know what? Because you didn't ask for wealth, I'm going to give you wealth. Because you didn't ask for success, I'm going to give you success. Because you didn't ask for influence, I'm going to give you influence. Because you didn't ask for fame, I'm going to give you fame. And Solomon had all of that. Here's what I think is interesting is that when we ask God for wisdom, you know what God does? He gives us more than we can handle. That's what God does. The Bible says that he gives us pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That God will do more than we have ever imagined. If we decide that we're going to do it God's way, God will say, you know what? Then I'm going to give you more than you imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I like the King James says, Who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. That's what the Lord does. God kept his promise and Solomon's wisdom becomes legendary. Legend, wait for it, dairy. Recognized by the kings of surrounding kingdoms as the wisest man who ever lived still today. There's an example of that in, uh, in the Bible. You can take a look at some of the wisdom stories that are in Solomon's life. First Kings 4.29, we're gonna wrap it up. It says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. Verse 34, from all of the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Not only was he wise, but he was famous, worldwide celebrity. In fact, the famous, well-known queen of Sheba is recorded as coming to ask Solomon of his wisdom. Solomon's wisdom and understanding, he always knew, did not come from himself. He understood it was from the Lord. In fact, that Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord at the beginning of wisdom, that is a proverb of Solomon. So I want you to realize this. The last thing is this. Solomon reminds us that if we give God our best, he will give us his best. So I want to challenge you guys. Have you given God your best? Have you checked in today, crossed off church off your list, squeezed it into your week? Or are you truly daily giving the very best that you have to the Lord? Solomon gave his life to the control of the Lord. And what followed is famous. Romans 12, 1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 
That means offer your life, your body, give everything you have as a sacrifice to the Lord, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Singing songs, that's a form of worship, but true and proper worship is a life that is offered to the Lord for his daily purpose. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like the world, but pour it out. Be transformed. Let God pour into you by the renewing of your mind. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you will pour out your views and let God pour in his views, you'll have a clearer view of God's purpose and will for your life. Now, the next verse is often forgotten. The very next verse is this. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself. He says, Take a good look at yourself. The new uh, um, English, the, the, the new living says, be honest about your evaluation of yourselves. He says, and with sober judgment in accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. He says, you know what? Pour out your life. But before you do, take a deep, deep, honest look at your life. Does, does it belong to Jesus? So that's the question I want to leave with us today is, Jesus, truly the king of your life, have you truly given the best, everything you have to the one who's given his best for you? Take a good look at your life. Solomon's reign was the golden era of the Jewish kingdom. His wisdom spread, his riches spread, his kingdom spread, his fame spread, peace spread his entire life, there was no war. A great military was established. He writes several books that ended up making it into the Bible. He builds a great palace. And what we're going to talk about next week is probably one of the greatest achievements in the entire Bible is that Solomon builds what is known as the very first temple to the Lord. And next week, we're going to walk into the temple. We're going to journey into the temple and see what's the big deal about this glory story of Solomon's temple and why. Is that in the Bible? So let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you have called us uh, to not be wise in our own eyes, God, but to be wise in, in your word, to be I, uh, wise in your will. One of the Proverbs of Solomon, Father, you have shared with us, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. God, I pray that that there is not somebody here in this room that leaves here walking out in their own will or in their own way. I know it's likely that someone will, in their foolishness, walk away from you today. But Jesus, I pray that if there's someone here, if there's anyone that has ears to hear, God, let them hear the Spirit of the Lord say for them to trust you with all that they have to trust the Lord with all of their heart and then lean not on their own understanding, but but to acknowledge you in all of our ways. And God, then you will help us to understand what our path is, what our will, what your will is for our life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you to just take a moment. I want you to ask yourself, have you truly given the Lord your best? Are you holding back portions of your life Maybe you're holding a relationship that you know the Lord would have you to change. Maybe you're holding on to an attitude that you know the Lord would want you to let go of.
Or maybe you're holding on to some sort of dream or a career that God says, no, I have something better than what you can imagine if you'll just let go of that. Some of you, you might be afraid of what God might have for you if you truly trust him with all of you. But that's the beauty of a loving, caring Savior who will take you to places that will make your heart filled with joy and not burdened with shame. God, thank you, Lord, that as we worship, as we end our time today, Lord, help us to shift our weight from our life to your life. Take a moment right now to say, Jesus, here's my life. Take my heart, take my life, take my job, take my friends, take my relationships, take my boyfriend, my girlfriend, or my husband, or my wife. God, take my kids. God, take my career. God, take my dreams. Take my my aspirations, my goals. God, take them all, Father, because I just want you. And that's when life becomes clear. Thank you, Jesus. But through the cross, we can be in relationship with you. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.